Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg. I am Dracula. And I bid you welcome, Mr. Harko, to my house. Bring me everyone. What do you mean everyone? folks welcome back to man cave movie review episode 17 i'm your host steve michaels and joining me is my good and dear friend jeff muncie hi and joining us is our other good and dear friend mark slover you know steve i know you um you make some interesting choices in the introductory music to every podcast but i've noticed you don't like beethoven and, and you don't know what you're missing overtures like that get my juices flowing so far powerful but after his openings, to be honest, he does tend to get a little fecking boring. That's why I stopped. So, toss the podcast. I will have to work on that. Wow. Yeah, I didn't even think about it. Call back. Yep, very good. Call back to the movie The Professional. Yep, very good. Very good. Like it. Like it. All right, so, folks, today we're going to be doing something different. Uh, rather than a movie review, we're going to be talking about what we believe in our honest opinion or we think is an underrated actor, uh, and maybe that's just our uh, belief, but we're going to be talking about Gary Oldman, and we're going to be talking about him because we think he's probably one of the better actors in Hollywood today. Uh, at least in my opinion, you've got what I refer to as movie stars, and then you have actors, and I think Gary Oldman is one of the very few very good actors out there. I literally will put him up there with the uh, the Al Pacino's and the Robert De Niro um, type actors. He's not a star, but he's a very good actor because he can play such a variety of various roles. And there's a bunch of movies that we have all seen that we really enjoy, and even bad movies that he's in. He could be in a bad movie, and you'll go see it just because he's in it, because he makes it good. At least that is how I see him. We're going to be talking about our favorite movies of, uh, that Gary Oldman has been in. Some of them I've liked, some of them these guys don't like, vice versa, so on and so forth. So it, it's going to be a good mix, I think, and it's going to be something different because, uh, like I said, he has been in a lot of movies that we have all seen that – he makes the movie, in my opinion. So what we're going to do, we're going to talk a, bit, a little bit about uh, his background. Uh, anyway, Gary Oldman's background. To be honest with you, when I first actually was watching him in movies, I was really shocked to find out he was British because one of his amazing trademark roles is that uh, he never uses the same voice in any movie. Uh, every movie, he's got a different voice. And it is amazing the range that this guy can play. And we're going to do some sound clips later where you will see he can play, you know, the, the, the Jersey cop to, you know, the, the Romanian Dracula to a Russian terrorist. And it's just amazing the range uh, that he can play in these movies. And I think that's why we like him, because he's, uh, he, he's a good character actor, but he could also be a star in a movie. I'm just going to go into it and talk about at least the movies that I've really enjoyed him in. And I will say my, my favorite one, and it's probably, I'm guessing, probably will be a favorite one of Jeff and Mark's, uh, was in The Professional. Definitely what I think is one of his um, uh, great roles, where he plays this very corrupt police officer. 
you know, we, we have corrupt where we like turn the other cheek and maybe, you know, take some payback from some people, but I wouldn't call him corrupt, would you? Corrupt? I would call him no. a, a homicidal maniac, wouldn't you? Well, a little bit. Well, I'm trying to be I, a I maniac be with a badge. Well, he was. <laughs> he was insane. Yeah, I mean, he not was insane, insane by the definition, but he was uh, he was he was a little more than corrupt. Yeah, he plays, out there. Yeah, he plays Stansfield, basically this corrupt cop. I, I, it's really, in my opinion, this is some of the best acting that you will see out of Gary Oldman was in this movie, and uh, it was made in 1994. It's actually called Leon the Professional. Uh, it's a very early movie with Natalie Portman. I think she was like what, twelve? 13 years old or something like that when she made this movie? Maybe even a little bit younger. It was her first role, wasn't it? Was it her first yeah, role? I can't remember. But, I mean, it's, she's, you know, again, very young Natalie Portman. I mean, in fact, you, I mean, if you didn't, you almost wouldn't even recognize her. Actually, it was her uh, second movie. Uh, Gary Oldman is just absolutely fantastic in this movie. He's such a psycho. <laughs> he plays such he a psycho so well in it. And that was the first movie I had seen him in ever. He inhabited every scene he was in. And he, he really, to me, that was the role that kind of set the trademark Gary Oldman bad guy standard of this controlled rage. This guy who yeah. you see him in a number of movies in this role. And he, I, I, watched, I watched a couple interviews with him before we did this podcast, and they were very interesting. And he even said, I'm not doing any more. I'm not doing any more bad guys. I got typecast. And he said, well, then he said he corrected himself. He said, you throw enough money at me, I'll, I'll do a bad guy for you. Mm-hmm. But I would say even Dracula, he plays this kind of cultured, restrained, uh, crazy bad guy who all of a sudden just loses it, and, and you're not expecting it. And then all of a sudden he snaps right back to, well, I'm, I'm this erudite, controlled, sharp individual. And, and in some respects, I think that's what makes him that all that much more frightening as someone who is the bad guy, the evil guy, the over-the-top guy. He inhabits that role in a way that is not stereotypical or scenery-chewing in a Hollywood sense because he brings that English stagecraft manner to him that it's reflective in those roles, and I think he pulls it off. Well, I, I I know he does. Um, We all enjoy that, and then I'm not a big fan of The Fifth Element. I know, Steve, that's one of your favorite movies, but I do like him in it, again, for the same reasons. He plays that kind of character that is approachable and then all of a sudden is goes right off the beam, and you don't know when or how he's going to do it. Right. Then he comes back to being this approachable, reasonable, seemingly reasonable sort of guy. And that's what I like about him. He his his range of acting. I mean, like you said, Mark. I mean, he goes from um, you know completely normal to you know psychopathic, insane within a heartbeat. And and he does it convincingly. You see it in the professional. You see it in uh, the Fifth Element, which again we'll talk about that sometime. But you see it in a lot of the movies that he is in. Like you said, that English stagecraft. He can play any part, no matter what. And he can play a good guy. Um, he can play the most evil guy. And the thing of it is, is that one thing I like about Gary Oldman is that you never look at him. You're never sure when you see him in a movie, what part is he going to play, a good guy or a bad guy? Because some guys get typecast as a bad guy. No matter what they're in, you can't, you can't play them as a bad person because they've always been a good guy. But with him, he can do either one. 
And he can do it convincingly. Let's take the movie Dracula, for example. I never really saw him as the bad guy. Because that movie, the way Coppola did that movie, yeah, he's the vampire and all that, but he was um, the, the tragic figure. He was more of a tragic figure in that movie than just this, you know, bloodthirsty vampire. I mean, the only reason he became a vampire is because, um, you know, the love of his life killed herself over him. So you can understand him versus some of the other, you know, Dracula movies you saw because you didn't know any background about it. And I thought he was very convincing in it. And I thought he was very good in it. I thought that one opening scene uh, when he's still in Romania... Basically, when he renounced God, that whole scene where he, you know, renounces God, stabs the crucifix with his knife or with his sword, and just that whole acting scene, I just thought was spectacular. It literally looked like something that you would see on a Shakespeare stage. It was very well done, and that's a movie that I thought he he was the main star. He was the main character in that movie. Everybody else, uh, you know, Anthony Hopkins, uh, God, Keanu Reeves, and Winona Ryder. And I'm just going to do a real quick sidebar because we're probably never going to review that movie. But you have to wonder, this is a Francis Ford Coppola movie, and it's a really well-done movie. Well, who the hell was the casting director that got those two? Two of the some of the worst actors, in my opinion, and I'm sorry, folks, if you guys are Keanu Reeves or Winona Ryder fans, I'm sorry I insulted you, but two of the worst actors in Hollywood, and you put those with a Gary Oldman, Anthony Hopkins. I can answer that for you. Jump right in, dude. You touched on it at the beginning of the, of the podcast when you said there are actors and there are stars. And you put Gary Oldman in at this role because he's an actor in Dracula. You put Anthony Hopkins in there because for for some reason he said yes, okay? Even if you said, <laughs> this will never happen, but let's ask Anthony Hopkins to be in this movie. Um, and he said yes. So you have two great actors in the movie. And at the time, in 1990, 1991, 1992, Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves were the two up-and-coming. Now, you can argue whether they or not, but they were – part of the big in crowd and they were the stars at the time in the late eighties or early nineties. That's why they got in there because they and had to sell this movie to, to, to certain demographics. And, and those were the two that you put in. And they were playing to a teenage crowd with those two. But, they'd been in movies that teenagers. Yeah, knew. absolutely. It was an R rated movie. You were going to get a very limited teenage group coming in. But they were going to crash the movie. You got a Dracula movie with blood and you got Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder. Show me a teenager with Remember, horror movies that have been out. They're going to come out. They're going to come see it. They were playing that R, angle. R-rated means you have to be accompanied by an adult, okay, somebody over the age of 18. So, you know, if your 18-year-old boyfriend wanted to take you, theoretically he could. Yeah. You have to look at it from a casting point, person's point of view. With Gary Oldman and Anthony Hopkins, you're going to get a certain demographic. With Winona the writer and Keanu Reeves, you're going to get another demographic. Well, you want to get as, as many cross-demographic people as you can um, to bolster the movie, you know it's it's a Coppola, so he's going to do a pretty decent job. But you you know it's R rated, so you still need to get as many people in your movie. Because as you said, Steve, once you start putting the R rated on there, you, you you automatically rule out a certain amount of the population that could go see this. Well, so it's going to do that. you know you're you're going to have to do what you can to make up for it. And that's true. And I, because again, it's a vampire movie, so you've already limited exactly who is going to want to come and see this anyway. 
Well, but it wasn't a vampire. You got to remember at that time, vampire movies weren't what they are today. This is, you know, this is mid nineties, early mid nineties. This was essentially a, a, a reboot of all the old Dracula movies. And it was just done in a, in a different format. But uh, any, I don't want to get off on a sidetrack of those, those two dingbats, but. Like well, and it was a non-sparkly vampire movie. You know, our vampires didn't sparkle and they didn't have emotional problems. That's right. They weren't wanted to talk vampires. themselves through they the movie. Because, I mean, there were some pretty ugly scenes in that movie. I mean, that movie is pretty – I mean, there were some pretty nasty scenes. I saw an interview with him, and he mentioned that they Coppola made them all read the book out loud by their roles. And he was very pointed in saying that was painful. He was indicating that Coppola's whole purpose in that movie of Dracula was that they he wanted them to understand their roles as Bram Stoker wrote them. That's part of the issue with this movie. Why those two don't work either is because they certainly don't fit the Bram Stoker mold. And so he's got them reading the book. I'm wondering if they understood every fourth word. It's possible they didn't. Well, I'm sure Hopkins and Olven did, but I don't know about Well, of course they did, but I'm sure it was tedious for, for those two to have to suffer through that. I'm sure it was, but I still enjoy the movie. I still think it's a very well-done movie. I like a lot of the special effects and everything that was done in it. I like the way it was directed. Um, I can overlook the, the, the bad acting of um, Keanu and Winona. And outside of that, I mean, everybody else was stellar in the movie. And like I said, Gary Oldman stole the show. I mean, he literally stole the show. And he does that damn near in every movie he's in. Even if he is the secondary character in a movie, he will steal the show. And one thing that I wanted to mention is that when you look at his uh, filmography, he is in a ton of stuff. He has been in some really good movies, and he has been in some really bad movies. And I will tell you right off the bat, even the bad movies he's been in, and I've seen a lot of them, they're good because he's in it. The only true reason that you would go see one of those movies is because of him. And I'll talk about it, uh, you know, some of those later. I don't want to monopolize my time. I want to get some ideas from or some thoughts from you guys in terms of what is your favorite Gary Oldman movie. Because i got a couple more. We're all going to go around the table here a couple times and, and talk about that. Dracula was, like I said, that was one of my favorites. thought he was stellar in it. Curious to see what you have to say, uh, Mr. Jeff. One of my favorite Oldman roles is him playing uh, Sid Vicious and Sid and Nancy. He had one of his first movie roles after um, all, of his, um, all of his work in England. I don't know if we've done it on the air. I know we've talked behind the scenes that Val Kilmer, um, as much as we don't really care for him as an actor, there are some roles that he he embodied. Um, one of those was as Jim Morrison uh, in The Doors. Mm-hmm. And when you watched him on screen, you thought you were seeing Jim Morrison. I didn't know Sid Vicious, and I only saw you know videos of the Sex Pistols playing. My, uh, my vision of who Sid Vicious was as basically this <laughs> out-of-control heroin uh, junkie who played in a punk rock band. Whenever I hear about Sid Vicious, I think of Gary Oldman playing the role of Sid Vicious. If Sid Vicious would do, you know, you know, come back from the dead and meet me, I would say, hey, you know what, you really don't act like Sid Vicious. Um, 
being one of his first movies, and it goes back to what you guys were mentioning with, with the way that he plays a certain type of maniacal um, lunatic at times and over the top, um, going from zero to 120 in The Flash. Sid Vicious does all of this as this this role of this out of control, crazy in love, violently um, lead singer, violent lead singer of the Sex Pistols. At times, you have to when you when you watch it now, you have to go, God, that is a young Gary Oldman, not Sid Vicious playing himself. Right. He he really marries himself into that role. And when you watch it now, because I never I never saw it when it first came out, which is I think nineteen. 19- 86 maybe um mid 80s late 80s when you look at it now and you go god even back then because we appreciate what he's done in the last really 15 20 years he he has been doing this all of his life this isn't really something that he seems to have grown into he see he, maybe he was born to be an actor mm-hmm. because even at an early age he was born in what 58 50, so no, by 80 he's older than that, I think. 68 no, fifty-eight. No. You're right, fifty-eight. No, fifty-eight. So he was born. Okay, so he was born in fifty-eight. So by eighty-six, you know, he was not. It probably was made in eighty-five. So in his mid-twenties, and he has such a convincing role as a very out of control type of character, which we we've kind of discussed. It's easy to play out of control, but it's not. I don't think easy to play out of controlled in a very calculated way. Um, and to create a per- and try try to emulate a persona that is well known, especially to people that are going to go and see this in the late '80s, um, who were um, Sex Pistol fans. One of the members of Sex Pistols, uh, John Linden, I think, thought the movie was crap, but thought Gary Oldman was spot on as Sid Vicious. So for someone to be a member of the Sex Pistols and say, "Yeah, the movie, I don't think really does a true justice to the story." But man, that guy can really act. And the, if you know anything about the Sex Pistols, you know Johnny Rotten hates to give credit for anything related to the Sex Pistols that somebody does, whether it's a cover song, or whether it is somebody acting, or even somebody working with them. He likes to pretend like you know he is is, is God's gift to you know I guess the world. And not that Johnny Rotten really has said anything positive about this movie or the, the actors, but in general, you know, these guys, you know, really kind of took themselves on to be, you know, one of the greatest bands ever, and would lend a lot of scrutiny to any portrayal, and to give Gary Oldman, you know, two thumbs up for his role as Sid Vicious, I think that that says a lot about how Gary Oldman inhabited that role and and how it came out. You know, if you're into biographies. I mean, it's a fun ride, I think. You know, it is definitely a Saturday afternoon, sit around, drink a beer while nobody else is around and you have nothing to do. I think you easily get through it. I thought it was an all right movie. I thought it was fun. Um, But I like that type of energy in a movie. I like that chaos. It was was a fun show. I don't know if I would. I would watch it again. I wouldn't own it, but I would watch it again. Mark, what do you think? What's your uh, one of your top ones? I'm going to go to the opposite end of the spectrum for Gary Oldman and go with one of his more recent works, uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Uh, just real quick, downloaded it, had not seen it, and very eager to see it. Um, you know, I can't he, speak to it either. I've been waiting patiently to see it. I recommend it. Now, I'm a huge fan. I read the, all the books, the Le Care books, when I was in my 20s. I own the miniseries where Sir Alec Guinness played 
George Smiley. And I, I give Gary Oldman a lot of credit. He referenced this. I watched an interview with him in, uh, on the Charlie Rose show before we did this show. I was watching it. That he knows what he's going into. He's going into Alec Guinness territory, um, a quintessential role. And they're revisiting what arguably a lot of people said did not need to be revisited. We could argue that point, but we're talking about him. And I enjoy the movie. I think there are a lot of great actors in the movie. Do I think it's as good as Smiley's People uh, or Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, the miniseries? No, because it's got a more limited amount of time. It's just the nature of film these days versus what the BBC was doing back then with that movie or that series. That said, watching him act, one of the most powerful 13 minutes of filmmaking you will see is he is acting in a flashback, sitting in his kitchen, recreating a scene of a number of years back when he was trying to turn a Russian agent, and he's half-lit on scotch, (laughs) and he is recreating the role back and forth between himself now monologuing and what he was saying back then and breaking it down and it is brilliant what I would call stagecraft it is almost like you're watching a play on film and he is so restrained so tortured and he does it in in such a in such so many small ways that I really give credit to an actor uh, what I really consider great acting is when you do something without being big about it without There's a time and a place for being big, but when you pull people in and make people feel the character's anguish or discomfort, and Gary Oldman really does that in that 13 minutes, and then throughout the movie, he is playing a very restrained, very thoughtful, very cerebral character who has many of his own demons, who's cuckolded by his wife, who's out of retirement to to find the mole, and he carries this role off while knowing full well that Sir Alec Guinness played the role to a T, but still imbuing it with his own signature, his own style, so that when I watched it, I I really gave him a lot of credit. I didn't sit there and go, okay, I'm going to compare him to Alec Guinness. He was a different George Smiley, and he did it in in a very restrained, very insulated. He, He was just very tied in because that's the way the character is written, and very bound-up type of acting that runs kind of counter to what you were mentioning, Jeff, about Sid Vicious. You know, Sid Sid was Sid. He was going to grab life because he wasn't going to live life long, so it's bitter end. And it's really interesting to see. I've only seen clips. I've never seen Sid and Nancy. But then to see him now, and part of it is, yeah, it's his craft, but I really give him credit for being an actor and not being a Hollywood actor, but being an actor understanding his craft and bringing all of his thoughtfulness and care to a character. And I was watching a number of interviews. Uh, That's what kept coming back to me over and over again is when he was being interviewed, how he takes time to prepare himself for the character he's playing. Now, a lot of people say that when they're acting a role, but Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise, give or take. Brad Pitt's Brad Pitt. I, I guess one of the reasons we're all talking about Gary Oldman and we like him is because while he does inhabit certain types of roles and he's been stereotyped a little bit, he brings something new to every role, and I give him credit as an actor, whether it's his voice, his walk, his demeanor. And he really does that with George Smiley because this is a beaten-down, 
older guy who can't be portrayed as a superhero or a secret agent of the James Bond mold. And again, I think that's what we like about him is that he can play pretty much any role you stick him in, whether it be the psychopath, the tragic figure, the action hero, whatever. I mean, he can play pretty much any role, and he does it convincingly. Yeah. The, the one thing I did like about him as I started watching, because um, I have not—I I will admit—I have not seen everything he's been in. I've seen a fair amount. And it never dawned on me. Like I said, I had no idea the guy was a Brit. I thought he was an American. The way he can affect an accent or affect a voice, mm-hmm. it's different in every single movie he's in. And that's what they talk about. That's like one of his trademarks is that he never uses the same voice in any movie. He sounds different in anything he's in. And like I said, there's some, some of the scenes just like, gosh, how does he pull that off? One of my other favorite movies that, that he has been in that I'll just throw out there real quick is, um, like I said, The Fifth Element. I knew what I was going into when I saw the movie. I still love the movie. I know Mark's over there throwing up at his... Uh, no, 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 no. There are parts of the... Anytime he's in it, I enjoy it. Anytime the lizards are in it, I enjoy them. Here, here's the thing. Uh, Luke Besson, who did The Professional, he directed The Professional. He also directed The Fifth Element. And I will always say to me, Luc Besson is the John Carpenter of, of France. He is very well done. I mean, he's made these great movies. To me, that was Luc Besson's uh, Big Trouble in China. I, I, will, I will hold to that to this day. That was his version of Big Trouble in China. <laughs> he was trying to just say, you know what, I'm just going to throw this campy film out there. I've got this, I've got this great cast. And I'm just going to make this campy film. And, and Mark's over there just pulling his hair out right You're dissing. You're dissing Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, Here we go. You can't put it in the same. Uh, uh, wound my heart. Yes, sir. I'm going to need you to, re- I'm going to re- need you to retract that reference um, so that Big Trouble in Little China can again stand on its own. Thank you. You're not backing me up on this? All right. You know what? That's it. Uh, you're not, not, you're, not in that aspect. I got two graves to dig. Okay, all right. We're, we we are just, you know what? We are just going to have to do a full review of the Fifth Element. We're just going to have to do it. Okay? And, and you know what we're going to do? We're, we're going gonna gonna to we're going to do the Fifth Element and Big Trouble in China back to back. We'll do them back to back. I love them both for different reasons. Of course, of course. You know, there there are three out of five things that work in the fifth element, okay? And that's why I'm I'm I am over on Steve's side of the fence on the fifth element, okay? But but like Ken, I'm barely <laughs> I'm barely there. However, there are there are three of five good elements in the fifth element. Huh. Three of five. Fifth element. Anyway, um we, we need to do that soon. But just so we can I'm, hash it out and I'm not going to sit there and tell you it's a great sci-fi movie. It was fun. I don't know why it was one of those movies when I saw it at the time, I just loved it. I love the soundtrack. I've got the sound. I, I downloaded the score. I love the music. Obviously, you know, my uh, favorite woman is in that movie. Very young, wearing hardly anything, which is always a plus. I, I don't know why. I just love the movie. I know what I got. I knew what I was getting into when I went and seen it. And it's just fun. But, um, and a lot of it, it was, it was basically comedy action. 
And to me, I looked at it, this is pretty much in the same vein as Big Trouble in Little China. I mean, you had Bruce Willis in The Fifth Element. You had Kurt Russell in Big Trouble in Little China. They were both campy, both crazy. You just, you, just, you just keep working it, buddy. You just keep trying. All right. You know what? We may, we may just have to work some more strength mm-hmm. methods there. I will, I will tell you right now, you know, Fifth Element, it's, it's, a, it's not a good movie. It's a fun Gary movie. Oldman's fun in the movie, but Gary Oldman chews the scenery in he's, every scene he's in. He has fun you know in. what? You know, there were two there were two guys that were chewing scenery in the movie. It was Gary Oldman and it was um Oh for the love of God. Luke Perry? No. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I just I'm gonna have to go there and just no, it wasn't Luke Perry. Yeah, that was one. I think he had to. I think he had to bribe somebody for that role. No, is Ian Holm? Oh yeah, okay. yeah. Ian Holm was in that. I thought you were going to tell me that the, the print look alike. Oh, Chris Tucker. Well, that was who. Yeah, he, he, that's who he was playing his uh, role off of. Chris Tucker is playing. He, he actually modeled that uh, character off of Prince. No, really? Yeah, yeah really. No, but Gary Oldman made that movie. I mean, he was the reason, he was one of the best reasons to go see that movie. Not even for Bruce Willis. I mean, because Bruce Willis was the, uh, I mean, he was top billed for the for the whole thing. Neela was, I mean, she you know, just came out of the whole modeling thing. Uh, nobody really knew who she was at that point. Well, you let's know, be Ian, honest. Mila's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you mad right now. Oh, you know. Mila's acting, acting abilities goes pretty much from A to mm, A minus. Tony contains better. Oh, all right. I'm see. I can get the Muncie's out. You better hide. Minutes. Change your address. <laughs> Mark's house in about four. <laughs> hey, Deb, how many shovels uh, do was... I have? <laughs> how many, how many lime shovels does he have? <laughs> all right. You know what? We're not going to do the fifth element because after we do that, I'll have to come and kill the both of you. So we're just never going to do that show. All right, Jeff, do you have anything else? Okay, I guess my second favorite role for him, my, my second favorite is his portrayal uh, as the tragic um, yet fatherly figure to Harry Potter in the Harry Potter series as Sirius Black. Okay, let me just start off chronologically here. Read the books. Read the books because I was getting into teaching at the time. And I thought, you know, a lot of kids were reading the books. I'm like, all right, I got to have something to relate to with the kids. So reading the books. The books, as far as a writing standpoint, pretty well written. The stories, actually, her writing and the way that she um, does her storytelling, very well done. They're so well done, I believe. The movies could not possibly have done it justice. It would have taken four or five hour. Uh, movies for each single book because there's so much intrigue, you know, little side stories that add a lot of flavor to the end, the, the the big story. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of dialogue that you just can't have in a movie because it would just drag it out forever. But what she did though is she made this enduring tragic figure out of Sirius Black, and you do not see his his redemption to where he is, you just kind of are introduced to him as this character that is, well, he's, he's, he's basically in an, in an insane asylum in the wizard world. And, uh, you know, and the way that they have him introduced and the way that he introduces himself 
is very well done, and it in general the movies I feel are pretty well done. They're pretty solid. They weren't too campy and hokey. They were what they were. But he added a level of sophistication to these movies that you would not have had outside of uh, Richard Harris in the first movie, who died, and then you had uh, um, and I can't God, I can't remember the name of the guy that played Dumbledore after he came on. Well, it, uh, it to a point doesn't matter. Um, aside from those two characters, well, I take that back. The the third one that just lends a lot of credit, and he did through the entire series, was uh, Alec uh, who had lent his um, credibility to the series, but then add Gary Oldman, and everyone wondered who was going to play Sirius Black. Everyone did, because it was that tragic figure that um, a lot of people come to just really love in the books. And as you saw what happened over the course of a few books, you knew the ultimate downfall was going to happen. And he portrayed that victim. And I believe there were a lot of tears in the theater from kids once he once he met his untimely death. He's um, bawling like a baby in there. That, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So he was able to affect – you know, just you know, even kids with his acting because he, you know, he, I think a lot of kids saw him on the screen. He was a perfect actor for that character. It, it wasn't the other way. It wasn't the perfect uh, character for that actor. He was the perfect actor for that character. And it is, it is that is what makes Gary Oldman, I think, one of the most underrated actors out there, is because he can come in and be such an integral part of a movie mm-hmm. that. Without him, he, that that series I think would have been completely different without him. I don't think there's anybody you could have put into that role that could have made it any better. He has such charisma that it almost uh, I don't want to say oozes off the screen because I hate that phrase. Um, the the affection that you feel towards this actor and this character, even though people knew it was coming if they read the books, they were still not prepared. For, to, to see this actor go away because that's effectively what was going to happen. It's going to be the last time, well, one of the last times you're going to see this actor. And I'm going to tell you right off the bat, Jeff, when you mentioned about, uh, I took Emily to um, see it with one of her friends because I was watching the Harry Potter movies. I've never read the books, but I remember when we went in there. It's one of those where I'm watching it. I was like, oh gosh, you know, Sirius Black died. The, you could hear the sobbing in the theater. And I'm like, and my daughter's crying, her friend's crying. I'm like, should I be crying? No, I shouldn't. That's bad. <laughs> but yeah, it, it he does. He he does have a presence about him in any movie he's in. When those, it's the thing. He well, portrays his presence. And you don't get that from very many people in, in Hollywood. No, you don't. And in this role here, it was it was the biggest news. You know, there 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 are some series, you know. Now, for example, in Star Wars, in The Empire Strikes Back, when you find out the big secret, right? It's the thing that everybody talked about. Everybody knows by now when Darth Vader says, you know, no, you know, he is his father. It, that's what everybody talked about. Around the world, it seemed like. It was just like, you know, Darth Vader is Luke's father? What? Well, when Sirius Black in the series died, you know, that was, you know, that was the big news in, in, in that, you know, at least in the, uh, you know, preteen community. So it was so important for them to find the right person to portray this in the movies because even with all the shortcuts that they take through the movies to condense it down to a concise story that doesn't um, – you know too long and doesn't deviate from what the overall um, objective is of the big, long seven-book series, 
you could not minimize that character. And I feel that in this in that movie series, they might have minimized a lot of other things in the two books that he was in, the uh, uh, Prisoner of Azkaban and the Goblet of Fire, um, and, to, and, and, and the Order of Phoenix. In those three books, um, or in those three movies, I don't feel they ever minimized or took out anything that he – any role he had that was in the books. I think they, they sacrificed everything else around that so that Gary Oldman could portray him in the movies exactly as he should have been because he was the focal point of the, the middle part of that series, and they did not want to diminish that. Good point. I, I was going to echo Jeff. I The serious black – I'm not a huge Harry Potter fan. My daughter came into it. I mean, she's 12, so she didn't come into it when your daughter did, Steve, when the rage was really... She came in on the back end near the end of the movie series, devoured the books. So I watched those movies with her. I've never read the books. But the serious black character impacted her just as well. And, again, Oldman is one of the reasons I enjoy the movie. I have to believe that he and the other actors, and it truly is a character actor movie. I think we enjoy the movie. I know I enjoy the movie. Jeff, I don't know, Steve, your thoughts on this. I enjoy the movie when I get to see the character actors, when I get to watch Alan Rickman, when I get to watch oh, Barry Bob. Oldman. Yes. That, that is when the, movie, the movies for me are really great. Sirius Black and then another favorite character actor of mine, David Thewlis, who plays Lupin, when those two yes. are together – it is like watching magic yep. because these two guys truly know how to – it's not even acting. They're, they're just inhabiting their roles, and everybody else just pales in comparison around them. And you really are compassion. You have compassion for these characters. You have interest in them. They bring complexity. And, Jeff, I've not read the books, but what I – so you can help me here. But what I got the sense from was they were able to really capture – and provide some level of the complexity and the depth of these characters that in the way they just acted silently or their small moves or the way they set a line that provided some depth and background that resonated with people when they had to cut those out of the books. When they when they had to condense the books, their, their mannerisms, some of the ways they handled uh, the scenes, probably reflected back on some of the other things that weren't in the book. I get the sense that that weren't in the movie, that were in the book, that the people who read the book would appreciate. Would that be a fair statement? Yeah, I think it is a fair statement. And, you know, because of the seriousness and, you know, you look at these actors and and, and you say, gosh, you've got Alan Rickman, you've got um, Gary Oldman, You've got all – you actually have a lot of veteran actors. I mean even Helen Bonham Carter, mm-hmm. who I – mean, this is perfect for her, for her role. <laughs> um, uh, you know, oh, she – you know, I'm crazy sure – Crazy person? Is that – Yeah, crazy person? Yeah. In, you know, that – the thing that these movies did with these veteran actors uh, mixed in with these kid actors, they did a great job too of playing playing these kids. And, you know, Daniel Radcliffe put a great job of – you know, you know, embodying Harry Potter, and but these veteran actors allowed, I think, people to, you know, a lot of times when we when we when we see when we read books and we put we see characters when we read about them, we get these visions in our head. 
I think for a lot of people, they were completely fine with the way that these actors portrayed these characters because they did take time to listen to the way that J.K. Rowling developed the characters. And even though you might not have seen a lot of uh, – they might have taken out a, lot, a big chunks of the book. Gary Oldman was was allowed to have that creativity to read and interpret for himself who this character was and then portray that on the screen. And that's why nobody had a problem with the way a lot of these actors portray the characters and to a point allowed people then to envision these people in the future books. And it didn't detract from the books at all. In fact, it helped enhance the books and the storytelling because all these guys did would, and these ladies would take these characters that were so carefully crafted over a series of books and put put a face and put mannerisms and put personality and character to them. And that's what Gary Oldman does in anything, whether it is The Professional, whether it is uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which just from the previews alone, it that's one of those that's just – it just grabbed me and said, I need to see this. The Book of Eli, these books where he takes time, you know, of course, in the Book of Eli, you know, he, he played one of those, you know, maniacal, you know, lunatics. But, you know, the Dark Knight as uh, as Jim Gordon, you know, he's, he's taken the time to come up with somebody that's believable and that you want to like, regardless of the role mm-hmm. that he's playing. You want to watch him on the screen. You can't wait for his next portrayal on the in the next scene because he is he is taking time to to act and not right. not just be a face on the screen of a character that you or of a person that you've seen in any interview or any red carpet or any you know any award show. You know when you see this guy in per or when you see this guy in an interview, it's so surreal to see him because you're like, well, this just isn't the dynamic actor I've seen. This is just a man sitting there talking. Right. And sometimes I lose focus of that, that what he's done on the screen is an art. And now I'm seeing the man who's just a man. And he's playing him. He's just being himself, which is just mm-hmm. any one of us sitting around and having a good conversation, which is fine. But it really helps me appreciate that He's not himself on the screen. He's somebody totally different. When I see Tom Cruise or I see Keanu Reeves, well, gosh, when I when I see them on the screen, that that's what I see in an interview, or that's what I see um, on a red carpet presentation. It's the same person. So I'm not shocked when I hear Keanu Reeves, you know, sound like he just walked out of Bill and Ted's. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But when you hear Gary Oldman, you're like. This, that's the yeah he did play that role but this is a you know this is a different guy this is this is the guy that I'm seeing right now. The other thing that strikes me why I really like him in these roles is a couple couple points. One, he's an actor. He's got an ego. He's got opportunities. He stayed like all of these actors with this series throughout for as long as their character was in the movie was in the books. They stayed with them unless someone died. Of course, you know that's tragic. Um, in the sense of real life, not in the movies. So that says to me, A, they appreciate the material, and they want to be part of it because they're getting something out of it as an actor. They're able to mine that character and find something enjoyable, interesting in every movie. They've got to come back and do this character again, and that can be tedious. So they found he found something, just like they all did. So that's credit to J.K. Rowling. Secondly... 
in almost every case, they had a different director, didn't they, with most of those movies? There was a different director with yeah. a number of those there, movies? There, uh, for, for, seri- for several of them, there were, there were different directors, yes. So he's got to keep his character while dealing with how a director wants to direct him as being serious Black. And I give him a lot of credit as a professional for being able to work with someone and not lose that focus and keep and engage that director to make him understand this is the way the character needs to be played throughout. You gave me the lines, but I need to play it this way. And lastly, why I really got to give him credit with this role is he plays a father figure and a compassionate but firm bridge for a young man having to grow up. And he does it in a way that you you sit there and you watch Sirius Black and you go, you know, without him, Harry can't win. Without him, Harry can't grow up. He has to have Sirius Black. I'm always struck by the, you know, and we're we're all dads, so we all you'll get this. Is no greater love does someone have than when they're willing to sacrifice themselves for someone else. Right. Sirius Black does that. Sirius Black knows what he is doing. From the, I truly believe that from the very beginning when he comes into this role to the very end, he is being that father. He is being that protector, and he will stand there and say, I will die for you because that is what I have to do. If and I not, think that's one not, of the great things about his his character, is, and, and that is what um, a lot of the young, the young readers got from this series too is he was a father role, but he was – he also sacrificed himself for Harry, and there was a lot of that throughout the series. That was basically one of the themes in the books: is people sacrifice themselves for the greater good. When it came time for him to meet, you know, go down in a blaze of glory, you know, I, I think there was a lot of adults that had some emotional tuggage there on that heart. It was a character that you had grown to to really like. And Gary Old, you know, you could have had an actor who just might not have had the personality and charisma to to do that. But Gary Oldman right. was able to to add that sensitivity that he needs, and we're used to seeing him in some sort of bizarre, over-the-top, zero-to-sixty um, intensity, just these, these intense emotions. He is so tender and fatherly in this role. It is so different for him, but it is an example of the range that he has, and you can't find someone else, I think, that could have done a better job at this role. Well, and – the other thing that strikes me, and I think that's why this movie series works, and why, in large part, the Lord of the Rings series works. Now, there's a number of American actors in that series, but I'll, I'll lump them in this in this statement. But uh, particularly Harry Potter, it's primary. It, it's it's a British film with British actors. Yeah, that come from a view of stagecraft. I am not an actor. I am a craftsman. This is my craft. You don't see many American actors understanding that. I'm a star. Well, Gary Oldman, David Thewlis, Alan Rickman, they're actors. My job is to act, my my role, my craft. And they take that very seriously, and, and, and they don't put themselves out as, you're here to see Tom Cruise play a role. You're here to see Sirius Black as played by Gary Oldman. And I, I really credit British actors for that, and I think that's one reason why they're so very good at, as you said, Steve, earlier, you thought he was an American. I think that's to their credit. They can play us much better than we can play them because they've learned their craft much better. No, you're absolutely right. All right, before I go to um, clips, I have a bunch of clips 
that I want to play. But before we go to that, we have to ask, brother, what you drinking? I'm drinking something. <laughs> go ahead. I'm drinking something cream ale that I can only get in Indianapolis when I come up to Indianapolis, so I load up on it to bring it home. Oh, you don't have any of it down there? Right. Are you kidding me? i got to load up on it when I come down. So if you come down to visit, bring me some Sun King cream ale. All right. It's on the list. Mr. Munchie, so, what do you got? Uh, this evening I have the uh, fine distillery Ooh. from Oshkosh, Bogosh, Wisconsin, the uh, Woodford Reserve. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, but, uh, well, actually, uh, I don't know why I said Oshkosh, Bogosh. But uh, no, from the uh, bourbon country in Kentucky. Yeah, my house. The, and, and I, and, and, what's that? Fifteen minutes from my house. Yes, you know, and I gotta thank uh, thank Mark for taking us on that, uh, the helping us uh, go on the tour of the Woodford Reserve, you know, Woodford's finest. Great, great little tour and a great little bourbon. It's one of the few that, <laughs> and I see Steve is, uh, is yeah, passing Steve. the bottle in front of the camera too. Uh, great, it, it's just it, it, it's it's one of the best bourbons out there. All right, I'm gonna go get my bottle of bourbon too. So we'll under under <laughs> under two hundred. It's it's the best bourbon out there under two or three hundred dollars a bottle. Yeah, there you go. Well, you know what, guys? I was in the neighborhood, and I stopped by at Rock Bottom and got two growlers of the Brickyard Brown because she didn't make any stout. They've been a little chintzy lately on the stouts over there. They, I, I have not been happy with them. I talked to the bartender about it, and he made a comment about Did you get on her? Did you get on him? Or was it him? Was it no, dude that likes I wasn't, I, was, I wasn't talking to the brewmaster because she wasn't there. There we go. Mark's got the double oak. The He's new double the, oak. Red bottle. He's got the red one. I've got, I've got the double oak. Uh-oh. That's their new bourbon. No, I talked to the uh, I talked to the bartender and he said that the stouts and the, uh, that she makes the uh, oatmeal and the milk stouts don't sell very well during the summer. Well, you know the stout. The stouts are a winter a wintertime drink. It is. Mm-hmm. Was this at Rock Bottom or was this at Granite City? No, Rock Bottom. Okay. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you know, Liz. I mean, she can she can make me a keg. I'd buy it. I'd freaking mortgage the house. Get one of those. <laughs> Christ. Wow. You know, speaking of which, Meal for stout. fifteen grand, the old for fifteen stout. grand, we can get our own. A barrel of Woodford Reserve made just for us. I'm sorry. What, what did you say? How much? For fifteen thousand, you get your own. They will make. They will cask your own barrel of bourbon. You get a special dinner. You get a special tasting. I'm not. I'm not making that up. But I don't have fifteen. Oh, you're not. Right? But, wait, but what? Wait, the reason wait, I'm the that, reason I'm laughing is I'm not coming up for five thousand dollars for a lifetime supply of bourbon. No, wait a minute, wait a minute. How many bottles is that? A lot. A I lot. At least a, I bet it's at least 100 bottles. I, I'm not sure. A lot. Hold yes. Sure. Well, how much, how, ma- how, wait, how many ounces is a barrel? We can figure this out. It's basic math. Oh, we'll do that offline. Let the list, I'm, doing it, I'm doing it right now. You all keep talking. All right. No, I'm just saying, you know, 15 grand. I'm, I'm checking the 15 phone. 15 grand. I think you've got to wait three years. Let's see what's my return investment. Uh, okay. All right. Where were we? Oh, sound clips. Sound clips. Okay. So we all know what we're drinking. We're going to go sound clips. I picked um, a variety of clips here, uh, gentlemen. 
But actually, this one's for you, Jeff. I never saw the movie. So we're just going to play this one. This is from Sid and Nancy. So we're going to play that. Ah. Oi. I want it. Wait, cut it out. Let go. Yours is three bucks, man. I don't care. Leave him alone. Who the hell do you think you are? Sid Fishes. <laughs> Sid and Nancy met when uh, Nancy was uh, a groupie and uh, trying to sell him heroin, and so that uh, that scene <laughs> there is, and that and that's that's uh, uh, you know it, it it's credited that uh, you know she's the one that got him basically you know started and strung out and, uh, you know that the the eventual slide down to to her uh, well you know you, some people might say untimely some people might say timely death. Wow. All right. Sorry. Nice clip, by the way. Who are you? Yes. Who are you? I'm Sid Vicious. Well, I'm Sid Vicious. And, and that's, yeah, but it, it, he, he got go that ahead. Cockney accent right dead center. It was awesome. All right. This one here is, um, to me, this is one of the iconic lines of Gary Oldman. Uh, it's from uh, The Professional. So we're going to play that now. Alpha Team. Man down, man down. I told you. Manny. Bring me everyone. What do you mean everyone? Everyone! I'm scared. I am scared right now. Yeah. Yeah. He just goes off. (laughs) The guy just turns around and walks away. (laughs) Awesome line. His whole face contorts when he screams everyone. He does. I mean, that's the thing. He acts throughout the whole thing. Facial expressions, everything about them. Actually, I'm going to do another one here is from the same movie. I got to, Oh, here. This is the scene when the old lady comes out of the uh, the room. Like, why are you bothering those people? So we'll play that. What's happening out there? I'm at the police. Why don't you leave that poor family alone? It's not right. Everything's all right. Just calm down. I am calm. I'm calm. Why don't you leave them alone? He said... Go back inside. <laughs> that doesn't even sound like Gary Oldman, but that was now. No. I had to remind myself that it was. I'm going to play this one here. This is my favorite clip. Actually, one of them. I picked this one from The Fifth Element. This one's for you, Mark. So I'm going to play this one right now. <laughs> He's going to grimace. But what the hell am I supposed to do with an empty case? warriors. But you can still count. Look, it's easy. Look at my fingers. Four stones. Zero stones. Zero crates. And he's doing some sort of midnight in the garden of the good and evil southern accent. That's the thing. The voice is like you, 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 you sit there and think, this is the same actor talking. It's great. That's why I said he steals the whole movie, the way he talks about it. And there was another, there was another clip, but it, it, it went too long. But it was another scene of Gary Oldman. It's just great acting. And you could just see the guy that he's talking to is just kind of looking at him going, wow, I'm impressed. Um, I want to update you guys. Based on a barrel of um, a, a typical uh, bourbon barrel being about 59 gallons, gallon is uh, about 128 ounces. A typical bottle of Woodford Reserve is about 25 ounces, and based on that, uh, you can get approximately 302 bottles of uh, bourbon out of a barrel. That's 180. 
So, Mortimer, sell, sell. <laughs> okay, we got to do that one next week. <laughs> Trading places. Oh, my gosh. We, you know what? We, I don't think I've ever talked about that movie. Debbie and I were just talking about it today. She's like, are you guys ever going to do Trading Places? I'm like, I'll throw it out there. Oh, I, I vote for that for next week. Jeff? I'll never turn down a movie. So, yeah, but I, God, I, I, I've seen it several times in my life, but I haven't seen it recently. It is one of the funniest movies made. We, we will have a ball. You know what? That's great. Trading Places tomorrow, or next week. <laughs> next week. Trading place. Now here's another movie we didn't even talk about with Gary Oldman that that he was in, and he made the movie. And this is actually a movie that was supposed to be a franchise, and it bombed after the um, the first movie that came out. And it was called Lost in Space, and it should have been good. It should have been actually the Star Trek franchise, but it just it just bombed bad. Here's the thing, you know what, folks? Go get it. You know why? Because of Gary Oldman. He's the only person in the movie that, when you look at the cast, you actually had a really good cast. You had, uh, you had William Hurt, Mimi Rogers, Heather Graham was in it. Then they had to bring in Matthew LeBlanc from The Friends Dude. Jesus, <laughs> what were they thinking? See, and that is what gets me. And then they bring in Gary Oldman. And they played Gary Oldman as Dr. Smith, which was brilliant and when you watch the movie if you've seen the series if you're old like us and you watch the series he was dr smith the way he acted the way he talked it was dr smith from the original and it was so well done but everybody else phoned it in so i'm just gonna play a real quick uh real quick clip there just so you can get an idea of what i'm talking about you can help them you're a doctor. Yes. Yes. I'm a doctor. Yes. And, and you can understand why the movie sucked when you hear the kid. You can help them. Yeah. Look, the room is pink. I like bubble gum. Can we have ice cream? It could have been good. And they screwed it up. I, it was one of those things where the, it was bad writing all around. But what I'm saying is, go see it, because Gary Oldman is awesome in the movie. He's the only reason to go see the movie. Not Mimi Rogers, not William Hurt, Gary Oldman. She's not going to get me to see anything. Who? Mimi Rogers. Oh, she won't? Oh, she's still Back in the day. Connie Katane. Oh, here we go. (laughs) I mean, she's, I mean... Really? I mean, even at this point, I mean, she looked like she was rode hard and put away wet. I mean, maybe back when, I I mean, oh, man, that woman, she just looks like almost chewed up bubblegum. Tawny Katane. Good Lord. Have you ever seen the movie Someone to Watch Over Me? Like 20 years ago. Well, yeah, back then she was smoking. Yes, yes, but but not, not now. And that was what, 1990, the 90s? Okay, here we go. All right, you know what? We're moving on because I'm, <laughs> because I'm already got my car keys and my shotgun. Oh, and man. Your All right, and here, your here, here's, a, here, here's a great clip. This is a classic line. The 
for those of you who saw True Romance, where he played Drexel Sleevey, uh, this is Gary Oldman in a great role in True Romance. Who the f- are you? I'm her husband. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes us practically related. <laughs> you have a seat, boy. You have yourself an egg roll. You got everything here from a little eye joe to damn if I know. <laughs> it's hard to believe that's Gary Oldman talking. It's just an amazing way that he can pull off that voice and all the other stuff that he does. And here he is. I'm, I'm going to play Rastafari. All right, here's another one. This particular clip is when he played uh, a Russian terrorist who took over Air Force One. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This oh, is a yeah. Great, yeah. He played a great role in here, so I'll play that one. I know what you're thinking, First Lady. You want me dead? Let me come to that. In a war, people die. This isn't war. You just murdered an unarmed woman. You who murdered a hundred thousand Iraqis to save a nickel on a gallon of gas are going to lecture me about the rules of war? And that's one thing I like about him is that he can talk real calm and then just explode. Again, crazy guy acting. Yeah. He does it really well. And, and I can understand uh, why I he doesn't of, want to do it anymore. He, he's proved his point. He's done this. He's shown he can do it. But this, when I think of you know the, the crazy guy acting, you know, going from zero to 120 in two seconds, I like the cast of Air Force One. Besides all the loopholes and and or you know the, the plot points and stuff that you can drive a Mack truck through. Um, actually, I'll, I'll, every time it's on TV and I come across, I'll just watch it. I I, lo- I really like Harrison Ford. But I love Gary Oldman in this role, and I can never tell exactly what uh, what accent he's trying to play there because it seems to go from uh, three different uh, nationalities. Um, just when I think he's Russian, I think he's Iranian, which and then I think he's uh, Turkish. But this is that's the perfect role to highlight his intense changes from you know calm demeanor to to screaming psychopath. But when watching that movie, I mean, the guy, I was I, I was for sure that everybody, including the star, was going to die when I saw him up there acting and, and playing this role. <laughs> he's going to kill everybody. And I don't care what the script says. He's going to turn around and I'm killing everybody and ruining the show. It's, it's one of my favorite roles in a bad movie. Yeah, it is. He does. And there, there are times when he's like slapping the crap out of Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford really looks like he's pissed off. Like, you know what? If I get out of this duct tape, I'm going to kick your ass. It's, <laughs> I think, you know, there are times where I think some of these actors, and, and we talked about that even in Tombstone. I think some of the actors in certain roles, they get so caught up in their part, they get a little carried away where they just start, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm going to kick your ass. And there were a couple of scenes in that movie where I thought that was going to happen. So going on to uh, another clip, this is from one of the movies that I really like Gary Oldman in, was Dracula. So I'm going to play that one now. Welcome to my home. It was really of your own will and leave some of the happiness you bring. Count Dracula. I am Dracula. And I bid you welcome, Mr. Harcourt, to my house. And what's great about that is he affected that voice throughout the whole movie. That's what I say. It's like every clip I've played, it's a different voice. 
it's never him. It's never Gary Oldman. I can see this guy, you know, when he's when he's given a role and given a script and told to go read it, that he would go away for five or six days, lock himself in a resort someplace, and spend hours upon hours trying to perfect and figure out what persona he wanted to come up with and just do it over and over and over again and finally emerge from the dark five or six days later and go, hey, I'm going to the beach. Who's with me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. If memory serves, when I watched the Charlie Rose interview, one of the first things he said that he has to get down is the walk. If he can get the walk down, that leads to his other processes. But you're right, Jeff. He He's very thoughtful. You can tell. I, and I recommend the Charlie Rose interview with him because it's about Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. Watching him talk about it, he takes his craft very seriously, to your point, Jeff. He's very thoughtful every time he gets a script about how he's going to imbue that character differently than, you know, Keanu Reeves. You heard Keanu Reeves in, in that clip. Shit, we could have had, that could have been the Matrix. I mean, Keanu Reeves always has one thing. Dude, wow, cool. <laughs> You're Dracula. Cool. You want to you wanna, you wanna share a fatty? Right. <laughs> I'm stoned, and I'm not stoned. <laughs> but this is my only acting style. Dude, right. This is me. Wow. That's what sets Gary Oldman... And, and his ilk apart from most stars. He's not a star. He's an actor. Right. He, and he doesn't care to be a star. He, he's going to do what he's going to do. And if you want star and you want, like you said earlier, Jeff, red carpet and all that, that's great. But that's not what I'm here for. All right. Last clip. And this is from the movie The Book of Eli. You're not just educated. Sorry, they want to handle themselves the way you did. I don't know where you learned it, but I sure as hell could use it. And it's a little town. Just the beginning. I'm about to expand. I need expert help to use someone like you. Now, here you're talking about a guy that is a British actor, and he pretty much nailed the South Texas accent. Thank you. That's what I was trying to figure out. It's South Texas. You're right. That That's pretty much South Texas. I could be wrong, but that sounds pretty much like South Texas to me. You know, what's interesting about British actors, um, we haven't seen, um, well, I shouldn't say British actors, but uh, let's say British and Australian actors. You guys have seen Black Hawk Down, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, there, there are a number of actors in there that are actually from, uh, that, are, that are British um, or, or Australian, but they come across like whatever. Middle, Midwest Americans, but when you see well, their interviews, you're like uh, a perfect example. The guy that played uh, the the sergeant, uh, the main sergeant of the Rangers, uh, bald headed guy. He, uh, I think he's from Australia. When you when I heard him in an interview, it might have been on the the making of of, of the uh, Black Hawk Down. Well, when I when I heard him talking, I was just like, dude, where where did you get your accent from? Because in the movie, he sounds just like you know Midwest America. And uh, but these guys have a way, but you know, it's not, it doesn't seem like the reverse can happen. You, know, you can't take an American and, and British people, you know, for as pretentious as they may be, some of them may be. You know, they're they're always over scrutinizing Americans who try to portray British actors. Um, Kevin Costner. Well, as they should, because well, we can't do it. No, and that's that, well, a good point, Jeff. I mean, you bring up a yeah. good point. 
Americans cannot do British accent or, as far as I'm concerned, any foreign accent. Because to be honest with you, the very first movie I saw Russell Crowe in was L.A. Confidential. James mm-hmm. shocked me that he was a Kiwi. Really? Right, right. The first time I heard him talk in an interview, I'm like, holy crap, I've never heard you speak like that in any movie I've ever seen you in. And uh, Guy Pierce, Guy Pierce is another guy. He can, you know, he can sound like an American perfectly. When we try to do their accent, it's so obvious. Yes, us. It is the Brits probably are just sitting there going, "You got to be kidding." Yep, and they do. And, and there's there is there is some valid reason for doing that because we can't hold it together as well as they can. Yeah. And as as for simple as a um, an accent that I think it is uh, on the screen, you know, a lot of Hollywood people can't do it. You know, going back to the Book of Eli really quick, the other thing I and and this movie it's one of those movies I I like. Is it great? No. But what I think is really interesting is you see two actors of a similar stripe, and I, I categorize Denzel Washington in a similar type of way, different style, similar manner as Gary Oldman. Now, obviously Denzel Washington will get top billing. But he plays character lead type actors very well. And it's interesting to watch these two character style actors work together in that movie because a lot of the acting that takes place is things that they don't say, body language and their interaction to each other. That I, That's one reason why I do enjoy Book of Eli is to watch when Denzel Washington and Gary Oldman are in the same scenes together. So, Mr. Munson. What is your favorite Gary Oldman movie? Okay, so not necessarily his portrayal, but favorite movie that he's been in. Is that where we're at with this one? Whatever you want. What do you Whatever I want. Movie or portrayal. It is your call. My my favorite movie with him in it um, is going to have to be The Professional. Very good. Very good. Good job. Can understand that? My Kentucky friend, Mark Woodford Reserve Slover, what do you have to say? Um, my favorite, and maybe it's because I recently saw it, but I just really enjoy how he carries the movie, and I also enjoy the genre quite a bit, is Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I would probably have said that had I seen the movie, but I can't say it until I see the movie. That's why it was tough for me to say it. Because I get the sneaking suspicion that I probably am going to really like his role and probably really like the movie. Yeah, there's not. That's not to say there. There, I don't have some problems with the movie. Nah, problems is too strong a word. But you have so many great actors, and he he just carries the movie in this quiet way that is just so effective. And he's just a joy to watch. But then again, I'm biased. The reason we're reviewing Gary Oldman is because we like him as an actor and that he just embodies he he make he carries that movie and so he does it in such a great way that I, I find that to be my favorite movie and I think I'll be curious to hear what both of you say after you see that movie about about your opinions on it. It's on a download. I'm actually gonna watch it tomorrow. Looking forward to seeing it. My favorite Gary Oldman movie, honestly I'm gonna have to go with Dracula. I just love the way he portrayed that character. His acting in that was almost. I, I saw his acting in that is like he was on stage. 
I almost like I was, it was like watching a play. And I thought he was very well done in that movie. I thought the way he portrayed himself uh, as Dracula was very well done. And it's one of my favorite movies. Sidebar, something I learned interesting about Gary Oldman uh, watching an interview was a movie he turned down, a role he turned down because he found it very inappropriate. He was approached to do the role of Charles Manson for a movie. And he said, there are some roles that are, he said, there are just some, there are some stories and some roles that I find terribly inappropriate. And that is one of them. He said, I would not dishonor or disrespect the members of the family who are surviving by doing that kind of role. He said, I just find that very inappropriate. And I thought that was very telling. Yep. Good for him. So an actor who has standards, gosh, this guy, don't you just love him more and more the more you find out about him? Yeah, I really, and he's had his demons. I mean, he's he's fought alcoholism, he's he's had his issues, but he's fought through it, and he hasn't burned out. He's found a niche, and he seems to be very comfortable with who and what he is. you got to give him credit. I admire this guy a lot. I'd like to meet him in real life. Oh, yeah. I, I think he's an interesting person to sit down and have dinner with. All right, folks, thank you for joining us for Episode 17. Hope you like this review. This is one that we did, an homage to Gary Oldman, one of our favorite actors, because he's been in a bunch of movies that we liked, and he has basically made the movies, even if they were bad movies. He's the only reason to watch those movies. So uh, let us know what you think. Uh, drop by on our website at www.mancavemoviereview.com or visit us on iTunes at Man Cave Movie Review and let us know what you think. Leave us a quote, leave us some comments, leave us some uh, reviews, whether they are good, bad, or ugly. We don't mind. We want to know what we're doing wrong or what you can do or what you can say to make us better. So that's it. This is me, your host, Steve Michael, signing off with my good and dear friend, Jeff Cloverfield Muncie. Night. That's it. That's all you got. That's all you got. It, That's it. It matches. It matches my hello. Indianapolis. My other good, good night. friend, Mark Kentucky Bourbon Slover. Try the bourbon. We're here all week. We recommend Woodford Reserve. If you're going to watch a Gary Oldman movie, sample some good Woodford Reserve, neat or on the rocks. Awesome. The movie will be good, and the bourbon will be good. Absolutely. All right, folks, thank you for joining us for Episode 17 of Mankey Movie Reviews. We talked about our good and dear friend, Gary Oldman, and all the great movies he has been in that we enjoyed. Hope you like the show. Check us out on our website, www.mancavemoviereview.com, and also on iTunes at Review. Check us out there. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think. If you like this, we'll do other movies and movie stars that you may like. Stay tuned for us next week. We're going to be talking about one of the greatest sci-fi action movies ever made. Big Trouble in Little China. Starring Russell. In control. And a whole bunch of Chinese people that you've never seen before. Except for one. And uh, uh, do you know who that is? Egg Shen. Egg Shen. Eh? Eh? That's, that's the other guy. That's yeah. Lopan. That's Lopan. Oh, that's Lopan. Eh? Lopan. Eh? So we'll be talking about that next week. Stay tuned to us. Then it's a great movie. You'll love it. 
and we're going to have a good time. So this is me, your host, Steve Michael, signing off with his good and dear friend, Jeff Cloverfield Muncie. Klopek. Is that Slavic? Probably. Somewhere around there. And my other good and dear friend, Mark, Kentucky Bourbon Slover. I don't want to drink your blood, but I do want to drink your bourbon. Nice. He's the most interesting man. All right, folks, that's it for us. See you next week. Ciao. trying to elevate the podcast community and then along <laughs> comes Steve. I got gas. <laughs> Sorry about that. Well I know what's going in the outtakes on the oh, back end. Oh. And there's Steve. Oh my God. <laughs>